Jacob, I have a question for you tonight. I want to know, what is the best teacher advice you've ever received and how did it help you? Best advice, not just any advice. The best advice... I don't know. Can Donalyn Miller's book be the best advice just as a whole? <laughs> I'm um, sure she would appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, that's a cop out. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I had to give advice today to, uh, oh. on a, on a show that I was on and they asked me what my advice would be for new teachers. And, um, it's advice is weird because it's very contextual and it doesn't always work for everyone. Um, but I, I honestly, I think the best advice that I ever had was from one of my early mentors who I've mentioned all the time, Miss Hammer. Still call her by her teacher name because I could never not do that. For those who don't listen to the podcast regular, anything I do, she was my freshman English teacher. She was my senior senior English teacher, and now we are colleagues and call each other to talk shop and everything else. And early on, she was my academic coach when I got my first job. She was eventually the AP that same year, but she was the academic coach uh, when I started. And one of the best pieces of advice that she ever gave me was to assume positive intent, right? Or presume positive intent, however you want to put that. And I, this, this is really obvious advice to some, and it's something that gets uttered a lot, but it really is life-changing for a new teacher who might not have the capacity to understand why a kid might act a certain way, right? Like, cause I mean, if you think about it, new teachers are dealing with all kinds of stuff. They're dealing with, uh, you know, they're learning how to manage a class and they are learning how to make effective lessons and they're learning how to be engaging. And they're also learning how to, you know, create boundaries with students and create, uh, rules and procedures that, um, don't, don't put, you know, don't like clamp down on everything too much, but keep kids wanting to be there. And that's hard to do when you have kids that are natural resistors and kids know, which teachers are new and which teachers, you know, have that. And you, you know, you kind of develop a confidence over the years, but that first year is really challenging. In my first year, I had several students who I could name right now. I know, I still remember their names of who gave me a run for my money. They weren't bad kids by any stretch of the imagination, but they were the climate changers. They were the resistors. They were the, the kids who, could just destroy whatever management I had in about five seconds. Right. And I, in my early days, like I, I easily fell into that trap of just ranting about the kids. Right. I would go into the PLC room and I'm like, Oh, guess what? So-and-so did today. Right. And just kind of go into that moment. And I remember I was doing it around her one time and she goes, Chastain, you, the, the best thing you can do for adults and kids is you have to presume positive intent. And for kids, sometimes that looks a little different because kids don't always know why they do things. Um, adults don't always either, but you know, it's a, it's a tricky situation with kids sometimes. And if you go into situations thinking that they are trying to make your life harder, that they're trying to be bad kids, quote unquote, if they're trying to be, uh, if they're trying to hurt the learning of everything else, you know what I mean? They, then you're going to treat them differently than trying to understand where they're coming from. or understand their behavior. And I think, I think that's life changing just in how you deal with kids and students and honestly, anyone, right? Anyone that you interact with, if you, if you presume that they are trying to do their best in whatever capacity it is, it changes how you interact with people. Um, I think I have, a. The other, can I add two? You said the best advice, but I really have another one as I was saying that out loud. Sure. But the other one, (laughs) well, the the other piece of advice that uh, I think really changed me, and I think I've quoted it a million times, 
Um, now I'm thinking of other advice. All right, I have to calm down on this. So I have the, the be- other best one I ever had was at a Kagan training where they said a child demonstrating a behavior or a child exhi- exhibiting a behavior is demonstrating a need. Um, and I think that is such a fundamental truth in education that also changes how you operate in a classroom and what and it changes how you react to the harder parts about being a teacher is when you look at them not as the class disruptor, but as someone reaching out because they need something. When you have a kid that wanders around the room, obviously they need that movement for some reason, but there, there's a, there's a root cause to things. And I think, uh, if you're if you're approaching everything from a deficit model, if you look at kids as deficits, as problems to be fixed, and as behaviors to be mended, um, it 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 you become something. You become an adversary to them, right? You become the opposite of what you're trying to be. You're trying to help, but those mindsets don't do that. Because kids understand that, oh, you're trying to change me, right? But if you look at them in terms of what they need, now you're a, you're a caregiver. You're someone that's supporting them. And those are subtle differences. And they're, it's such a cognitive switch that kids respond far better to the teacher coming at them from uh, a, a, a positive stance rather than a deficit model. And I think both of those combined, I think, are the things that I remind myself the most. Um, so I would, I would say that they're, they're pretty high up there on the, on the good advice scale. Well, I think that sounds like pretty good advice. I'd want to take some of it myself anyway. <laughs> well, everybody, welcome to craft and draft. I'm Pam Ochoa. That's Jacob Chastain. And, uh, well, we're glad to be here. So what are we talking about today, Jacob? Because we've been going back and forth on topics. I'm not quite sure what we decided on. <laughs> I think we had about four of them running there today. <laughs> we did. You know, I think uh, people seem to really resonate with anything. Anytime we talk concrete details about the workshop and, All right. you know, we are the episodes that do the best are the ones where we say, this is something we actually do, or this is this is uh, the actual pieces that you can kind of take back. Because the the philosophical episodes and the bigger ideas and everything, I, I think those are the I think those are the the fun parts of this podcast. But you know, in the end, teachers want actionable things. So what I was thinking was, I think if we really start kind of break down how we use time in a workshop, I think this is really valuable for everyone, not just because time is of the essence in the classroom and there's a million things to do, but I think you can run workshop in a lot of different ways. And I think we feel guilty when things don't work out the way we want to, or we feel like we're falling behind, or maybe, uh, we're not using time effectively depending on how long our, uh, blocks are or our period. So I figured that might be a fun way to start today is jumping into that. But before we do that, I have a small listener question that we can dive Uh-oh. into, Miss Ochoa. Um, right. I actually uh, answer, I, I answered this question to the person in the DM that they sent, but I figured we could open it up to the podcast because um, other people might have this question, and I love uh, bringing some things to the show, as you know, and having people ask questions. If you want to get your question answered on the show, you can DM me or you can find us on craft and draft workshop over there on Facebook where this person did, or you can submit a question via craft and and we will answer it as soon as possible. But here's this question, Miss Ochoa. This is from Brandy. She said, she has binged every podcast this summer, and she is trying to be patient for the book, Smiley Face. She said, I'm so thankful for the video you did in August and have been working to implement your system in my sixth grade classroom as I'm preparing my students to publish their first piece. And yes, I had several students triple confirm that they could indeed write about whatever they want, which is beautiful, by the way. The, the opening up of freedom is always, it always seems like a lie to students. I'm telling you, it's that... They do. They don't trust you at first. They don't. They think it's a trap. They think you're going to eventually uh... steal it. Um, But she continues. She says she has a question on the writing reflection that we showed in our demo video of Craft and Draft. She said there is a section that uh, includes purpose. 
And she said, would you be able to tell me more about the intention for that score? And I think this is a beautiful question because um, you and I, if you remember, Miss Ochoa, when we were designing mm-hmm. the elements of craft and draft, we were reading uh, Rosenblatt's work and going back and forth on what quality writing was. I, I specifically remember a conversation where you and I had spent a good portion of the day kind of hashing out some of this, and we it, it made it out to the parking lot, and you and I were talking about how we do all of this talk and workshop about choosing pieces, writing authentically, but then we assess in a very strict way. And we were asking the question, so how do you assess in a way that honors the nuances of writing? And we specifically said, every great book that you can name has bad reviews on Amazon, right? Like everyone Mm -hmm. hates the best books to some degree. And that nuance, I think, needs to exist in the workshop when it comes to writing, um, because that's kind of what it is. Yes, there's mechanics and there's formats and everything else that exists, but for a large portion of what we're doing in workshop, a lot of that doesn't necessarily apply because we're trying to get kids to create their own structures, to find out their own meanings and everything else. And so we had this long conversation and we ended up coming up with a way to satisfy that to a degree on that form, which is allow purpose to be a part of their score, meaning having kids be able to think about why they wrote the dang thing in the first place. Right. And Mm -hmm. so to pitch it to you though, before we kind of, we can break down the nuances of that actually on there, but I wanted to kind of go to you first and go, when you have done, uh, when, when writing is the case, how does, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast purpose has kind of been the theme of the last few episodes, but how has purpose, how does that drive how you talk to students about their writing? And then how does that, how do you take that into account when, when the, the, the looming deadline of test scores and grades and the, the, the business of school, so to speak, loom over you in terms of, uh, the final products of what should happen in a classroom? Well, I think really you're, I don't know. I mean, what, what has come to mind as you were talking was when I read, uh, Nancy El. Atwell's work, uh, lessons that have changed writers' lives. And she has a lesson in there called So What? And I think to me, that was the first time I really considered the purpose of and and made sure that that was an important part of my students' writing. And, uh, and what it was, was it was a conversation that she had with a student. And they were doing some kind of sharing, if I remember right. It's been a while since I've looked at that particular lesson. But it resonated with me because the student said, yeah, but so what in the sharing? And she thought it was rude at first, but then she started thinking, well, yeah, really, what is the so what of your writing? I mean, you've said all of these things, but why does it matter? And if it doesn't matter, then why are you saying it? And so what part of your, so, so when you ask that question of the students, then you have them, okay, go back in through your piece and review it, reread it and ask yourself, why am I writing this piece? What is the, so what, and did you include that in your writing? And if not, what can you do to ensure or interject a so what into that writing. And then that is a great way to transfer to theme or message in uh, literature or in nonfiction pieces or even the call to action at the end of a persuasive piece. And so why are you really writing it and to whom are you writing it or for whom are you writing it? And I think I think those are some big questions that if you could get the kids to start thinking from that perspective, then I think that would actually inspire their writing even more. And then not only that, I think it would be even easier to grade. Don't you think? Cause then you're really, once the kids start doing that, I mean, that's what ties us to a piece anyway, is that message. I mean, that's what inspires us to, to do something or to act from the reading that we do. And it's the insight that we learn from characters, it's the insight that we learn from the theme, it's it's the insight of the writer that we get, and how we connect to them, and what's that going to spur us on to do. Uh, anyway, so those are some things that, that I'm thinking about. I think that's, uh, while you were talking, that was what popped into my head, was remembering 
when I really truly considered theme. And I would say that was probably uh, when you were a seventh grader. <laughs> so how long ago was it when you were a seventh grader? Because that was about the time I read that book. <laughs> well, so I remember because we did a deep dive on Atwell's work too. Like when we were kind mm-hmm. of, we kind of looked at, when we were doing this, you know, we were looking at all of the elements of the, uh, you know, the people that we reference all the time. We, we try to be very diligent mm-hmm. in giving credit to the the great minds that came before. And, you know, the, the work that we do is really a building. It's it's building off of the fantastic work they did. It's just a way right. for us to um, distill it and, and work on it in the way that we do and kind of sharing what we have done based on this. But um, the the so what is is. It was a great, I forgot that was definitely a part of the conversation. And I think the purpose is really fascinating because this goes back to the, you know, the original research of Donald Graves, where they showed that uh, if you can, if kids can talk about their purpose in their writing, then they can talk about, they're more able to talk about the purpose when they're reading, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's two sides of the same coin. This is why, you know, not to go off on too big of a tangent, but this is why the the free writing and the letting kids choose their topics and kind of go through this process of selecting topics, working on something, finding purpose, really, and then using the lessons in there is because if they could do it in writing, now they're starting to they're thinking like a writer, which allows you to read at a deeper level because a lot of the questions and a lot of the skills that we want kids to have in reading, this critical analysis um, in literature and critical reading of nonfiction, which is becoming more and more important as the, the internet proves itself to be not, um, the Holy grail of just information, right? There's all, you have to sift through everything is questionable nowadays on the internet. You know, you have to be able to critically think about the information you're consuming. So we want kids to have those skills and one of many ways to do that is to get kids to really think about why they're writing. What is the effect these words have? How do you, how does your title, for instance, inform what is about your piece? One of the things that we have kids do all the time is they go, they'll, they'll be like, I want to write a piece. Okay. Chesting, can you help me with a title? And I try to, you know, one of the, like all the time in middle school, I'm like title. I was like, you can come up with a title first. Sometimes the title can inspire your piece, but I was like, Write first, like explore the ideas because the idea you have right now might change by the end of your piece. You might have a different concept. And so all of that to say that purpose piece, I think really does allowing purpose to be a part of the uh, assessment that we allow students to give themselves and then that we join in with them to do. I think it empowers uh, the more nuanced side of it. And it, cause it's, here's the thing, this first six weeks, I had some kids that were like, well, like they, I, I wrote it because I had to write it for this class. And so we had that conversation of, okay, so that is a purpose, right? I mean, you, you kind you had yeah. to do it technically for the class if you wanted that writing grade. But I, we had that conversation of think about how much time you spent on this. We spend roughly 20 minutes to 30 minutes a day writing in my classroom. See, this is connecting to our schedule conversation. Okay. Um, but that's it, a lot of time. We do every single day, except for some test days and anything else that might come up. Um, but all of that time you were spent doing something because I told you to do it or I, the class is set up to do that. And think about how much time you could have been exploring something you were interested in. Think about the time that you could be expressing yourself, diving into something. Think about how much time you were bored for no reason, right? <laughs> and so we had, <laughs> we had those, but they were great conversations because a lot of kids were like, oh, yeah, I guess that's right. And it was kind of funny because there's this one girl who comes to mind who wrote this hilarious piece. It was it was like a stream of consciousness piece that she was like, I'm writing this because I have to. I'm about to fall asleep, but I'm not going to because I'm listening to music and that's at least keeping me awake. But what's worse is I know my next class is even more boring. So it was like this. She, I mean, oh she was she was like insulting me in the piece kind of. <laughs> But it was, I, I, it was so funny. Like it really was like her voice came through and this is a really quiet student, which is why I thought it was extra funny. Cause 
I hadn't heard any of this snark really in the conversations I had had, but she was, she, it was, it was this like little, it was like a half a page of this stream of consciousness kind of insulting all of her teachers and how boring it was. And she wanted to fall asleep, but it was so good. And I looked at her and I go, look, I know like, I was like, I know you're kind of making fun of me here and you don't really enjoy this, but I was like, your voice is so clear. Like you're, I was like, it's not normal for a seventh grader's voice to pop off the page this early, but I hear this voice. Like you have a mood here. You have a tone. I was like, this is brilliant. I was like, imagine what would have happened if you were writing something you cared about. Right. <laughs> and so, but she actually like, she glue up a little bit in like that. Our well, relationship, yeah. well, our relationship after that conversation about purpose and how it all kind of connects, she changed after that. And the next day, like she was talking more and she was like, Hey, come, can you come look at this? And this is why that purpose conversation is so important because it's another way to show kids that this isn't a trap. I want you to have a purpose. I want you to care about this. And so I think we should, it's a way to honor. Um, it's a way to honor the nuance of what we're doing because, literature art of any kind is subjective and we live in a standardized world of education but we can find ways to to poke that standardized bear a little bit and add some of that nuance i don't know that's all that's all i have on that question do you have one thing to add or do you are you ready to move on to our scheduling no but i did have a little bit of a breakthrough when you talked about your student made me think of one of mine and that was um this boy he was like putting his head down you know and 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 he didn't want to work. He's at the end of the day. He's exhausted. But we had a we had a conversation. I can't remember everything about the conversation, but it was like, you know, you can write about whatever you want to. Oh, I can? I said, yeah, I don't care. Just write. You just need to write until I say stop, right? Well, it was a long time. I want to see how far they could go. And it might have been a good 20 minutes. But anyway, he wrote a whole page. And he came over to me at the end of the day. And he's like, Look at this, Miss Ochoa. Look what I did today. And I'm like, oh my goodness, are you surprised by yourself? And he goes, I am. I said, Well, how does it make you feel? And he goes, Well, I feel pretty good about it. So anyway, it was a it was kind of neat to that's the first time I've seen him do more than about three lines and not and fall that, asleep. And that's the that's the point about this is you know, mm-hmm. sometimes it, it takes a lot of patience, right? Like yeah, because it, it's been six weeks. <laughs> exactly. Right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, and there's, it's so funny because I, I, I'm so addicted to the process and I, I love reading student writing. It is one of my favorite things to do on the planet. I just, at any level, I love reading the, the kids that really struggle with language or, you know, it might be their second language. So their writing's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, to, to the very tip top of kids that are already doing magnificent. I just, it's so fun because it's, they're so like, as if they're writing, like I have this one kid who he doesn't really like to write. He doesn't really, he kind of likes to read. He's a good kid. Uh, English, it's his second language. I think he's been in the country for about a year and a half. Um, so he has, he, he's, uh, you know, he's still learning just like the basic mechanics of English, but he started writing this piece about his little sister being born. And it was so nuance like it i mean it was really interesting to just read kind of his perspective on what was happening and i think that's the that's so cool because now because he because he cares about it and because i care because he cares because it's interesting guess what now when we go and work on those mechanics when we work on sentence when we like just hey what's a simple sentence how do you capitalize something at the beginning of a sentence that becomes so much more pleasurable because we're not just fixing stuff we hate, we're fixing things that we actually care about. And I think that that's the magic we talk about. Anytime we talk about writing on this podcast is, Mm -hmm. is, is, is nailing down that passion. So the, the more, you know, technical side of what we do becomes less miserable. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. All right. So moving on from that though. So scheduling, right. Topic of Mm -hmm. the show, topic, topic, topic. Our, Uh, workshop uh oh you know what we <laughs> this connects to our uh the topic of the show we had another listener who had reached out and said that a hundred percent that workshop definitely applies to high school i think we had called that into question on another <laughs> episode <laughs> and so uh, they, oh, they well, had, i taught in high school and i taught with workshops so i do know that it does so will you 
let can we start there? Because like I actually yeah. want to, I want to talk about the the different levels of of workshop structure that you've had because you've had many different classes, you've had different mandates from different. Uh, campuses that have mm-hmm. forced you to change how you format stuff. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm interested to see just how things have changed. Fun of too. It, so, I mean, you have, the well is deep on how, <laughs> how many schedules you've run your workshop on. So I'm curious though, like you can start wherever you would want. We just mentioned high school if you want to start there, but how has workshop, how has your timing changed from just kind of era to era, year to year or whatever, however you want to break that up for you? Well, when I was in high school, of course, that was when I first learned about workshops. So that was when I first tried it out and I had about a 50, about a 52 minute period. And so I would definitely have short pieces that I would read or, and then they would respond to it. And then we would, so I guess what I did is I would have, I would alternate my days. So I would have a writing focused day. And then on the next day, we'd have a reading focus day and then a writing focus. Now, we read and write every every day, but, you know, that 20 or 30 minutes you're talking about, you can't, in a 52-minute class, you can't do, or a 43-minute class, you cannot do 30 minutes of reading or 30 minutes of writing. I mean, that right there, you're already finished. So there's no teaching. So you have to, you have to adjust. So I, I typically would start with a quote. So they would walk in at at the high school. I would walk in. They'd have a quote that kind of dealt with my, maybe my essential question or whatever the theme was that we were talking about or the literature that we were talking about, just depending. So there would be a quote and then the kids would have to respond to that quote. And then I would pick some sort of reading, whether it was a poem, whether it was a short piece, even a picture book, a trade book. Uh, one of my best ones was Rose Blanche that I would, I paired with uh, Kill the Mockingbird. That one just keeps popping up because I think that's my most memorable one for me. But anyway, they would they would reply to it and it would be like a short period of time. And then I would do my mini lesson. And then either from there, we would either read or we would do writing. And then at the end of the day, we would end the day with either, you know, depending on what we did. So like if we did reading, then we would end the day with about five or 10 minutes, whatever's left of the time period, even just maybe two minutes where they would write a response to what we read. Or if we spent the day reading, then they would do their self-selected books or their literature circle books or whatever it was that we were doing. They would do that at the end of the day. So that's kind of how I did it. And then every other week, well, it would be like on a, I would usually choose a Wednesday, a Monday or a Friday because I was a, I, you know, was a parent and everything else and had all these other things going. And so there were sometimes on the weekend I'd be so busy. So if I did it on a Monday, I usually planned for it on a Monday unless I couldn't get into the library fast enough. But every other week I would plan the library day and then we would read every day, all day long that whole entire period, I give a little, maybe a little talk about a book and then they would go pick one. And then on that other day, that next Monday, it would be writing day. And then they would write the whole time. So my actual mini lessons and all of that, the quotes I'm talking about would happen on Tuesday through Friday with the test sometimes on Friday, about every, every two weeks. So that's kind of what I did. And I tried to fit it all in and some days it worked and some days, whatever I didn't get done, I just continued on to the next day. I don't know if that was helpful. Yeah. Was, I mean, that was so, my high school. So I want to give credit to the person who sent this. I, I went and dug, it was a, the reason I struggled to find it for a second was our, uh, our, co- it was a comment on our website, which oh, okay. I, I, wow. I forget that Thank people you. can do that. I know we really need to like, I need to find need a way to, to funnel too. all of these into one thing. Cause I just like people. Go ahead. No, maybe we can get together and figure it out one day. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, we we really need to because it's they're all over the place. But uh, I think it, the name is pronounced Taiwan. It's it's how it's spelled T 
T-I and then one. So tie one. But he said, high school teacher here. High school absolutely lends itself to workshop. Think about Penny Kittle, uh, Carol Jago, and Kelly Gallagher. Yep. They're all high school teachers in workshop like crazy. I'm also a teacher who loves when students have read books. I am teaching because we can play with the analysis to dig in and find good stuff. So that was was about establishing purpose to increase uh, learning, which was our last episode. So uh, super funny that I, I just giggled when I read that because I was like, oh, man, we, we uh, <laughs> I think it was me that had brought up the question, which is obvious. You know, Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher obviously do. I think Kittle uh, teaches in a longer block and Gallagher teaches in a smaller one. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously they still kind of managed to do this stuff. But anyway, back to you. I just wanted to give credit to them for kind yeah. of spurring on. No, there was also another time where I had uh, a block class, the only block class I ever had in high school, as we we blocked geography with English. And that was probably fun. That was fun. And so what we did was that sarcastic? Is, was that a sarcastic? No, it was fun. No, oh, it was no, it was a real fun. deal. No, okay. I really loved it. I wish I, I mean if I went back to high school, I would ask for a humanities type course like that. That would be uh no. So what we did is we organized our writing and everything around the regions of the world. And so it was even our reading. So like it, you know, there were certain things that we had to read in the canon, especially with the honors or pre-AP classes. And we didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. You had to do the canon. That's how it was back then. And you read the whole book. So when you're looking at uh, Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, we read the whole book. We we read the whole book. The Odyssey, we read the whole book. I mean, we read the whole book. <laughs> so Anyway, uh, I remember that year we did a separate piece and cold sassy tree. And that was when we were in the United States in my geography class. So, so whatever we had to read during that time period, um, it, we would, I would find something from that region and that's what they would read. And if it was stuff we had to read, what was non-negotiable, uh, like the Odyssey, then I made sure I did that when we were in Greece. And so we would look at the maps and all that kind of stuff. And we would, we would look and see how ge- geography drove, uh, the writer. It was really fascinating. And then the kids would would write, and we still did workshop in the same manner where they would write. I mean, we'd have moments where they would just write whatever they wanted. But as far as like learning for the reading, the reading in response to that was geography driven. That's really so, cool. Yeah, it was pretty fascinating. I uh, I don't know. You know, I just you know what stands out to me. Uh, about mm-hmm. Charles Dickens and everything. Any, anything where I read something from that time period, I love the way they describe the fire, like in their houses, because it was so part of like the lighting, right? And just having mm-hmm. that in the house. And obviously it's in, you know, Europe. So it's cold a lot of the time. And um, this is coming from a text who's ever been to Europe. So if Europeans are like, it's not cold here all the time, then that, you know, you can DM me. But um, I, I just love that, that those details there because it's always – it's such a moody time period. But I, I could see how all of that really does connect. So my question to you is – so you've had you, – you did you ever feel restricted in your shorter periods when it came to workshop? Did you feel like you didn't get enough? Because I feel like that's the fear for people who – teach in a 40 minute, 55 minute block. I feel like they're like, Oh my God, we, we only have so much time. I have to get this. So they, they over script their lessons, so to speak. And so independent reading, independent writing, get pushed off to the side and they do a lot more practice and direct teaching, um, rather than kind of workshopping through some of this. Did you ever feel restricted to do that? Or were you just really that comfortable going, you know what, if we don't get to it today, it's just going to go to tomorrow. I've always been comfortable with if we don't get it today, we'll just do it tomorrow. So I really had a like you're a still like that. workshop. <laughs> I am still like that. <laughs> I'm not going to get it done. I always plan way more than I can get done, and I go slower. I don't. I mean, I don't. I try not to rush the students too much, but sometimes I get a little stressed out, especially when my friends next door to me are going way faster than me, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, they're all going to find out. I'm a. I'm a. I can't get this done, but anyway, but no, well, really on, for on, the on, most part. So oh, wait, my, wait, oh, wait, 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 my, what <laughs> my, uh, you know, what's funny is the, the part that stresses you out about that is I love, uh, 
that you do that because I think one of your strengths as an educator is being able to like meander and take your time on like, like if a lesson's just going too long, like you, you've done it several times this year already where you're like, yeah, you know, we, we did that for 45 minutes today. And like, we're like genuinely just, you know, you just let the process really work. So, I mean, if we're talking like pure workshop, I mean, that's kind of what it is. Like I'm, I'm very, uh, as well, I'll talk about in a minute, you know, there is some regiment to how I run things, but I think you're the part that you sometimes feel self-conscious about. I really find it inspiring because it's, I think you probably cover a lot of ground and you, you cast a net that captures a lot of students that way, because while, mm-hmm. while you might fall behind on quote unquote, like curriculum or like whatever pacing we've decided, I think you you really do capture a lot more kids that way because they, they you do need space and time to kind of go through some of these pieces. But I, I just, in my head, I'm thinking of these teachers who have shorter time periods. I feel like that could be stressful for someone who feels like they need to be following a specific set of things to happen. The only, the only time I've ever felt really stressed, and that was when I was working with teams or my administrator felt like I needed to be on the same page and do the same exact thing as somebody else because so it I comes do, from outside of you. It usually comes from outside if I get stressed. If it was just me, I mean, I know I look at the I look at the time and I'm like, I've got to get to here by this time. And so I might not do it as fast as somebody else. So I try to, if you will, group or chunk a bunch of information into one type of lesson. I don't like, I don't do like too many things. Like I might, I guess if you will, I slow down to go faster. Does it make sense? So I'll slow down and I'll teach them. Like if they have a question, I will stop and answer that question. And that's what I'll do. And if that question leads to somebody else having a question about it, I will stop and answer that question until I make sure I try to make sure that almost everybody understands and then there are times where I go, okay, we're done. We got to move on, you know, and, it, but, but if I feel like they're not ready, then I'll just, I'll stop and I'll, I'll make sure that they will do it again if we have to, you know, on some things when they're really not sure, or I'll have somebody else, you know, another kid help. Okay. At your tables, who understands it? Raise your hand. Okay. Y'all need to tell you, explain it to your table or to the, your partner, because, and then I would ask the partner, so what did your person just tell you? What did your friend just tell you that you need to do? If I really kind of think they don't understand. So those are some techniques that I've used. But no, I, I kind of, I'll answer all their questions. Like the other day, you know, you saw my grammar up there on the board. And I saw you kind of space out like, oh my gosh. But anyway, but we were doing, we were actually teaching sentence structures and patterns because I, I can use we have a lot of Spanish speaking students, right? And I also have some French speaking students because we have some people from the Congo, at least I do in my class. And so from that, I can I can use my my information about language, those patterns to help them understand the English patterns and vice versa. So I kind of do it like that. So I slow down there, but then later on when we start doing all these compound and complex sentences, then I think they'll have a better grasp. But um, but what happened was all these kids started asking, especially in my honors class, so what happens if we do it this way? What happens if we do it that way? What do we... So they were in even my on level of my seventh period class, they were asking all these kinds of questions about language. And so it was really kind of neat how it turned into... But I think it's because I'm not rushing and I'm not doing worksheets. We're not making it. We're parsing sentences, but we're parsing them together. We're not necessarily doing 40. I'm I'm not doing a worksheet. There's no worksheet here. And then what they had to do was when they were reading, after I taught them that, they had to go into their self-selected books and then they had to find patterns. You know, if one popped up, write that pattern down, you know. So they read and then they went back in and they saw if they could find I let them read first. And then I said, okay, these patterns, see if you can find any that are written that way. Well, I'm walking around and they're like, hey, do you think this one's one, Miss Ochoa? Is this one? And it when I said, I think that is one, that's that's pattern number four. And they're like, oh my gosh, I've really found one. And so it was just kind of neat. And then now they go into their writing and I'll say, okay, let's find these patterns in your writing. 
All right, now over here, if you have sort choppy sentences, what do we need to do to correct them? You know, make it, you know, make it work. And they'll, oh, well, we need to combine it. See, so I've already done all of that. So it looks slow and I have to watch. I have to be careful to not speed myself up beyond their understanding. So I kind of slow down and just, and but they do have good conversations because they, you know, once I get them going. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, and I... Uh... I think that's the 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 good part about this is it's a a lot of the stuff that we talk about when we talk about like you know the moving away from the textbook or worksheets and stuff like that it's not because what's happening in those things isn't valuable necessarily a lot of it's just because it becomes uh it becomes too segregated from their actual thinking and work right like that's the difference between you working on something that kids really connect to in grammar and just handing a worksheet with 10 different problems to solve, so to speak, um, is the, is the, that authentic connection, right? That's where a lot of that builds in. And I think that's where the, the workshop kind of really blossoms is where the lessons start connecting to what they're doing independently, both in reading and writing and, um, and I, I think the the schedule lends itself to uh, how all of that kind of works together. So if I'm not mistaken, you start your workshop with students independently reading. Is that correct today? I mean, that's what I'm doing this year. Yes. I don't always do that, to be honest. Well, and but so... It, but my kids were a little bit wild at the beginning when they would walk in because they're just, they were all like excited and I couldn't uh-huh. get them to rest. So, or to even do, I couldn't get their attention well enough to do the mini lesson. So it was in my benefit this time. And they do like to read. The majority of them like to read, I guess, because they read a lot last year. So having them read the first 10 minutes seemed to be something that they needed to do to get into class. Well, and our, our partner has kind of, uh, done that as well. And, and I've, I've done that before. I've, I've definitely, I used to do that. That was because that was my initial like replacement of bell work was having them come in and read. Um, I, I'm not doing that this year. And my, so my schedule runs as they come in, they jot down the standard in their craft book. Uh, we do, if we, if it's a new standard, we break down the standard, any unfamiliar vocabulary. Um, and then we jump into the lesson that last 15, 20 minutes, depending on what's happening. Um, after that, they independently read for about 15 to 25 minutes, roughly. And then we write for about 20 to 30 minutes. And then there's some type of debrief usually at the end to kind of close out, um, the period. Sometimes I do another uh, mini lesson, so to speak, before they jump into writing based on what we the mini lesson was for the reading side. But I usually it always is kind of structured that way. Sometimes the lesson we do is more focused on writing um, for this year. Uh, we've, we've, I've pretty much entirely focused on reading first, then writing just because a lot of them, uh, we had a lot of kids come back this year. So a lot of them haven't read really for like a year and a half. And so I've been trying to double down on that, getting that process going. Um, but that, that just standard section that I just kind of, uh, talked about, I, I just, I really love it because the, they come in, they jot down the standard. It's, you know, it's enough to get them, you know, distracted long enough so I can take role and kind of see what's up. But then when you jump into that mini lesson, based on that mini lesson, that fuels how we focus their reading and how we focus their writing every day. And I just, I get so much mileage out of that because it's just a constant reminder of those mini lessons and whatnot. And I just, you know, I, I, Sometimes I think about the days when I did do reading first. I liked that. The one thing I didn't like about that, and I want to ask you about it because I felt like I couldn't ever – I felt like I was ineffectively connecting their independent reading to their lesson because the lesson was coming after their reading. Do you feel that way or is that – you're, you're shaking your head. So why don't you feel that way? Cause that, that's how I've always felt. And that's why I have that current system that I just talked about. But why do you feel like that isn't necessarily an issue with you for people that might want to do it your way? 
Well, one of the things that I do is I created a silent sustained reading response. We just call it a double S, a double R. And so I ended up adding this year, and I'm, I've not done this before. I did it this year because at the very beginning, yes, I, I was having that kind of an issue. But what I what I ended up starting doing pretty quickly was we took, right after our reading log in the craft book, we took like several pages maybe four or five front and back. I let them do front and back on this one. And it's a, I call it an SSRR, right? Silent sustained reading response. And so they just keep a running tab of responses that I ask them to do. And what what I'm doing is with those responses, those responses tie to my mini lesson. So what happens is they read and then I give them a response. So like if I want to do setting and how to setting influence character and plot, right? That's one of our things. Then what they have to do is they've already read and then I put the question on the board, then they go back into their reading and they have to find, they have to describe their setting and and explain how it's influencing the plot. And then I do the standard and then they know why they had to do that question we go through the standard like you're talking about. If it if they if it says influence, then I put influence on my word wall, and we talk about what influence means. And I have somebody look it up, blah blah blah. And then from there, I give them the mini lesson, and then I might do a text, a model, a text for them. And that's when we're doing our articles or you know that whatever is required from the district as far as the reading that we have to do. So I'll model it or anything that you and I have found, those types of things. So that's where I model it. And then they go into writing. And then if they have time left, then I let them read again. I love it. I Here's the thing. I think that when people are thinking about structuring their workshop, you know, experimentation, I think, is key and not being mm-hmm. afraid to change it. Don't. You know, if your workshop isn't flowing into one another, don't be afraid to change it. And you can change it mid-year. Like, it's really okay. But I would say that uh, in terms of scheduling your workshop, I think the we've, – we've had the episode about non-negotiables in workshop. And, you know, in that we talked about the reading time and the writing time. And I just – I think that no matter what restraints that you have – the, no, no, no matter what schedule you have, no matter the students you have, if you are wanting that authentic time, if you're wanting to build workshop capacity, uh, you you can't let the reading and writing fall to the wayside in, in service of whatever quote unquote masters that you have that you have to um, that you have to serve, right? We all have curriculum that we have to do. We all have tests. We all have, um, we all have restrictions that come to us from district. We have emails that suddenly tell us to do something else that day. We, we all have those things that happen, but when it comes to the scheduling of your workshop, it's, I had, so I had a literacy coach that sat with me one time and she said, she's the one that showed me, um, Kelly Gallagher and Donalyn Miller initially, she's, she kind of led me down this path. She was like the first gateway drug to all of, all of this that we talk about every week. Uh, she was fantastic. I will always be in debt to her, but she had sat with me and she goes, you know, it sounds like you really want your kids reading and writing. She goes, have you looked at your class and actually looked at how much reading and writing they're doing? And I was like, no, I haven't. She goes, we'll do it this week. Just look at, you know, as you're teaching, just watch. And I did it. And it was kind of like me just gathering data on myself. And I was like, you know, they're really not like they read some passages, but they're really not reading them because they're boring. I'm just handing them worksheets. I have this fever dream sometimes, this nightmare of this project that I gave them where I just had these nonfiction passages shoved into these folders and they had to just come up and grab them and answer all these questions completely void of any mini lesson, any instruction to guide them, any authenticity, just literally the most random stuff. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I just, but like, here's the thing. Go it like remembering that is the stuff that drives me to go, okay, so how do I make this authentic? You know, how do I show them nonfiction text, poems, stories that really connect to what they're gonna do in their writing? And always letting that be my driver and and asking myself, 
what is the student independent work ratio to me controlling them ratio? And I've, I, I try to shrink it as much as possible. Um, as, as much as the, the, the day to day allows me to do and doing that has allowed me to get my reading time up to 20 minutes to 30 minutes, up my writing time up to 20 minutes to 30 minutes to really allowing that time for them to be in the reading zone and the writing zone and whatnot, as Nancy Atwell uh, eloquently puts it. But that I think is the that's the heart of this, right? Would would you agree that the the heart of this is is finding out not only what schedule works and you know the procedures and everything, but really finding that sweet spot for how the the maximum engagement kids can have in their authentic work. Would you would you say that's the fundamentals of scheduling a workshop? Yeah, I think I think you're right. Another thing that and and I think too, like you mentioned something about don't be afraid to try new things. And just the other day, your cats are fighting right now, and this is not going to get cut out of the fight. episode. We're letting this. <laughs> they are playing kitty football, and they are literally tackling each other. I was cracking up. One was like, one one was standing up. You know how they stand up on their paws, and the yeah. other one just ran after them. And then they did oh this little God. little tumble. I'm like, oh my. Goodness, they're like really after. I it can't tonight. wait till we start recording the the visual of this regularly. <laughs> well, the thing is, is I've tried to keep them out of the room, and all they do is start scratching on the door. It's not. It, I don't know. They're just. They're like kids. You know how when you're. Oh, I'm so sorry, everybody, but when you. <laughs> when you when my kids were little and I would get on the phone to talk to my friend, they yeah, would always say, like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And I'm like, dude, can you not see him on the phone? Yeah, but I need you now. You know, this is like my cats. That's They're so like, funny. not enough attention. Here we are. Now, anyway, I forgot what we were even talking about. Dadgummit. Well, I. Um, trying yeah, new things. Trying new things. Thank you. Trying new things. And, and like the other day. We didn't start off with reading. We actually started off with writing. So sometimes I'll assess, when you said assess what your kids are doing, I'll assess what have I spent more time doing? And I'm like, oh, I haven't spent enough time. You know, I'm I'm heavy on the reading level, so I might change it up. And I just tell the kids the day before so they're not like flipped out when we walk in. I'll say, okay, tomorrow we're going to begin with with writing. So be ready, be thinking about something you want to write about because that's how we'll start tomorrow. So sometimes I'll, I'll do that. I don't, and I think that's where I'm different than other people. I think some people are so regimented and it's okay that they have to do the same thing every day in that particular order. I'm not, I just have never been that way. And I think that's where people have misunderstood me, but speaking on you being able to take a piece and use it to inspire kids to write. I think that is something that I would, I've always picked somebody in my life that I would want to be more like. And I think that's one area that you do that I think I would like to be even more like. And that is being able to pick those pieces that inspire the kids to to reflect and write. I think that's a strength of yours. And I think that to me is where like you said, where the kids can be more focused because they're actually writing about something that has inspired them to write, which brings back to that purpose. And I think that also, and and that's the other thing too, when they get in a zone, like you said, you mentioned Nancy Atwell's reading zone, when they actually get into a zone and and then you can, you can research getting into a zone. And there's actually been research where people, scientists have studied, you know, how, how long does it take for your brain to get to a zone. And when I looked at that, it's at least almost 15 minutes before they finally get in a zone sometimes, 10 to 15 minutes. So if you don't allow that time for them to work, then they're not going to ever get in that zone. And I think sometimes understanding that is why I slow down sometimes, if you will, to speed up. I really need them spending time. Like when that boy started writing and, you know, I was going to do something different. That's what I, because, you know, we had this activity planned, which I do want to do. It's a pre-writing strategy, right? That we're going to do where they investigate a topic and look at it from all these different perspectives. But when I looked out there and they were all writing from their idea frame that we did, because what I had them do was create this idea frame 
And, you know, they listed things they want to know more about, things that they want to have, they have strong opinions about. And it was, and things that they are interested in or hobbies that they do. And so they were listing all of that. And I think because it was things they're interested in, things they have a strong opinion about, I think when it became that and not their personal stories, and, and you know, when my students did the pre-writing, I mean, the pre-test for um, informational text, you know, I, my kids scored fairly well on that. So I think my students are driven for this nonfiction. It just looks like it. And then when I allow them to write, they just all of a sudden took off. Well, I decided, okay, they're really writing. I mean, when I went around, they were like writing more than they've ever written. And I thought, well, okay, I'm just going to stop. We're going to let them write. And of course, I got that boy, that breakthrough happened with that boy. And so I put everything on pause. I thought, we'll just do this on Monday because there's no reason to stop this flow. I mean, they all got into the flow. They got into their zone. I had maybe, I really didn't have hardly anybody misbehave. I mean, there was no misbehavior. Well, I have one that I just, she she's a ELL student and she struggles just with everything socially all this but other than that everybody else was in a zone and nobody was even looking at her so she just kind of didn't know what to do <laughs> she's she trying to get to she's kind of like my cats just wants everybody to look sure, at them and sure. listen to her but anyway the thing is is I thought well you know I need to just stop and let them write and so I think they wrote for 20-30 minutes and they didn't even look up it was amazing and I just been like Okay, so I don't ever, when I get that moment in time, I, I don't worry about my schedule. When they are actually reading and I look around and they're really, truly reading, they've actually gotten into their books finally, they've gotten into their writing finally, then I just let them write. I don't stop them when that happens until like, and unless I want to debrief. And I usually debrief about, so it looks like all of y'all had something to write about today. So what were some of the things you wrote about today? You know, they're more apt to share because they really feel like they've done something worthwhile. Anyway, that's kind of where I was going with that before my cats distracted me. Yeah, I mean, I, this is all I, I really do. I love these conversations because there's so many ways to take this and it really comes down to knowing your students. And, you know, one thing I, I, I wanted to share this story and in my head while we were talking, I was like, well, it's probably not going to really have an opportunity to come up, but you brought up something that does allow oh. me to share this story. So I think this might be a, a, a nice positive way to close this out, which is, okay. you know, you, you gave me the compliment and I do thank you about the, you know, bringing stuff that connects to students that inspires them to write. Um, I think a lot of that is inspired by the way I confer and uh, some of it's my age too, but it's also just being at the campus for a while and really, uh, being able to connect to them on some fashion it has, I'm, I don't bat for a hundred. Not every lesson connects to them the way I hope it does. But the other, so Friday I had, I had a, I don't know what it is about Fridays with us, but you had a, a rough day on a Friday a few weeks ago. My rough day yes. was this last and it wasn't, mine wasn't really that bad, but it was one of those days where everyone knows there's no subs because of COVID. So we, I had yes. to cover a class. I have first period off. So my son, for people that know my son's autistic. So I, I always get first period off at my campus because some days I'm late. Some days I'm early. I can never really tell because I really am uh, uh, just a, a servant to whatever he needs that morning. And sometimes we're fast and sometimes we're slow and it just depends on what happens. So um, I have that first period off. And a lot of the times I reserve, that's my conference time. So I reserve that time to uh, do email, to plan PLCs, to make copies, et cetera, et cetera. On this particular Friday, I did reserve it to setting up a lesson that I wanted to do. And I got pulled into a classroom. So I had to quickly pivot because I was like, well, I don't have time to make copies for the lesson that I wanted to do. But I had a lesson that was kind of, you know, every, every teacher has like their bank of just a few lessons that they can just kind of pull out whenever they need to. Mm -hmm. And so I had this one that I was, wasn't planning on doing that day, but I was like, you know what? It'll be fine. I think I could do it. So I did, um, the slam poem hair by Elizabeth Acevedo, who is, uh, one of my favorite human beings on the planet. I love her books. I love her poetry. She wrote the poet X and several other books that are fantastic, but the poet X, I've had so many kids read that book. It's written in uh, verse poetry form. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of kids connect to it. It's really powerful. Almost every person I have read it cries at the end of it because it's very emotional. But um, it's fantastic. Anyway, this poem is about her hair and how, you know, her mom – or her – 
her mom wants her to to fix her hair, so to speak. And it's, it's about culture and it's about bending to cultural norms about what you should do. And it's about being proud of who you are and your heritage and stuff. I mean, it's really empowering in a lot of different ways and you can go as deep as you want with it. So I did it. I did it with honors and on level. And, uh, we had several kids in each class be able to connect to it. One of the kids, in my on level class, who she 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 is she's one of my struggling readers, um, but she really connected to it, and she came up with this really beautiful piece about um, uh, trying to get people to accept her for who she was, and it was really amazing. But at the end of the day, so I've had this horrible day for a variety of reasons, <laughs> and it was you know just one of those days where nothing really worked and everything right. just kind of felt like, and I was just towards the end of the day, I was like, all right, we're just gonna we're just gonna make it through today. And we had this moment to where I had students, we watched the poem, we discussed it, and then I had them do a quick write about any time someone tried to force them to be something that they didn't want to be, right? Mm. That was kind of like my prompt because it, it was based on the poem and everything. And I wrote with them and, you know, it was this quiet time and I had quiet music playing and I don't, I don't do this every day, but we know we kind of just did a quick write. And let them write. And I wasn't even going to have them share because sometimes if I'm asking them to write about personal stuff directly, um, I, I usually don't have them share just because I feel like they don't want to. And I feel like if I tell them they won't share that they'll write more honestly for themselves. But when I said that afterwards, they go, Chastain, I want to share. Can I share mine? And I was like, and then someone else across the room said, oh, I want to share. And then uh, like That's seven awesome. other kids all of a sudden said, I want to share. And I was like, Okay, we're sharing. So I was like, exactly. you know, it was just one of those moments where you just bend to yeah. the will of your students and they started sharing. And it was the most for a day that was relatively bad, not the worst day ever. I, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. I think a lot of it was just me and how I reacted. But these students started sharing these pieces or like, you know, the, these these quick writes about how they were, you know, mistreated here, how they they were being told that they weren't really can they they weren't who they wanted that other people wanted them to be and it was really genuine and a lot I mean some of them were so heartfelt and there was a part of me that I had to pause and be like man like this is that I could easily gloss over a lot of this but they were they were comfortable enough in this classroom to share stuff that was deeply personal I mean a lot of them shared like one of them shared stories about how they've been bullied over and over again because they're seen as babyish and they're not mature and they don't really know how to react. One kid said that he was, he he's mistreated because he is, they say he acts too black and that he, you know, he's from, uh, the Chicago. And he was like, when I act like where I'm from, people say I'm acting too hard. And then when I act like I'm here, they say I'm, I'm not being genuine. And he goes, he was like, well, which one is it? And I thought that was a really interesting conversation and, and insight that he was giving. I had one student talk about how she is mistreated. She, that people judge her because she doesn't talk and doesn't interact all the time, but she's always thinking and that she wants to say things, but now she doesn't want to. And I mean, it was all of these like wow. really like, I mean, emotional things. And it was like, the, and every kid was engaged. Like I didn't have to do a quiet signal one time. There's days where we share and kids are talking and I have to constantly kind of bring them back to like be respectful of the speakers. Not one kid spoke while any when else was speaking, I was like, huh. Like that, I mean, that was such an unplanned, <laughs> it was such an unplanned, genuine moment of sharing. And I was like, this is, this was the highlight of the day, even though I didn't plan for it, but because I, so what works and this caps our conversation, I think, which is because I've set up an environment where students are allowed to say what they want to say because the pieces on our walls already, when kids saw those, they started opening their eyes a little bit. They said, Oh, I can, I can write stuff like this. I can, I can write about my, my problems like this. I'm like, of course. And there's 13 pieces on my wall right now. I, I put them up every six weeks. Kids started, it was because I've set up the systems, because I've set up the structure, because I've set up the procedures, students felt comfortable to talk about these things and they were respectful of each other because they know Everyone in the space is writing about something else that connects to them, that everyone in the space is going through something. And I was like, this is a moment where 
because I spent time setting up these systems and empowering voice through independent choice and, and constantly beating that drum, it happened even when I was having a bad day. It happened even when I didn't want it to happen. I didn't want them to share. I was like, let's, <laughs> let's just move on. Like, I just want to get to the next phase, right? But mm-hmm. th- this is the point of why systems are so massively important in workshop because this, if you get your system working, it works whether you're having a good day, bad day, fantastic day, mm-hmm. or you're, you're dealing with your own stuff. And I think, I think that if anyone gets anything out of this hour-long conversation, it's the, the, the systems that you set up can either empower or limit your students, and we have to constantly be judging which one is which and in which way we're pushing our classroom. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded like I was going to do more, but that was it. I thought that was a perfect way to end it. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Craft of Draft podcast. That's Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We are seventh grade teachers here in the state of Texas, loving what we do, talking about reading, writing, workshop. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. We release an episode every single Friday. So many of y'all have been sharing, listening, everything. If you loved this podcast, hit that star rating, maybe write a review for us. Those really do help. It's not mm-hmm. an ego thing. As I keep saying on the show, it has everything to do with the algorithm of the world. And the more you guys rate and share and write reviews for the podcast, the more we rank among others. But the podcast has been growing. More and more listeners are interacting and being a part of the community and submitting questions, which we absolutely love. If you want your question featured on the show, submit a question through craftandtraffworkshop.com. I guess you can comment because we'll feature you there as well on the website. And you can DM me because (laughs) I will uh, find those and feature you as well maybe we'll come up with a more streamlined way to do all of this but regardless submit your stuff we love answering questions and diving into what you want to dive in if you have a topic for the show you can submit that as well but thank you for listening thank you for hanging out with us for over an hour talking about reading writing workshop i love that you dorks are just as dorky as us about reading and writing workshop oh my god i I love doing this Thank you, Pam, for uh, coming on the show today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here. For you.